quite a few years ago, I was leading a wedding rehearsal in a church sanctuary. And after we were done, the family continued to set up for the next day while the wedding party hung around and, and told stories. One of the groomsmen started telling a joke and then halfway through just looked around and, and stopped. He said, oh, I can't finish this here, not in a church. It's a dirty joke. It's not appropriate. Let's go outside. <laughs> okay, all right, so a couple things. First, I was really disappointed. I wanted to hear the joke, and they just left me inside and did not even invite me to join them. Now that's hurtful. Tell your jokes to your pastors. Many will appreciate it. And second is this. I found it really interesting how people separate holy space from non-holy space and how that determines what you're supposed to do or not do. I was not surprised by this experience, but it did help me to think about the distinction people make. For as long as there has been religion, we've been separating sacred from secular. There is sacred music and there is secular music. There is clothing worn by church leaders during the services, and then there is the clothing that they wear everywhere else. Growing up, when we would walk through the church doors, my mom would lean over to me and whisper, Remember, Chad, we're in church now, implying that we crossed the line from the secular to the sacred. And now I had to be good. <laughs> so on the one hand, making this distinction allows us to enter a sacred space more open to the idea and to the possibility of an encounter with the divine because sacred places are not like everywhere else. In this space, we're in the presence of God and come to experience God in the worship and ministry that will happen within these walls. I mean, as it's been said, this is God's house, right? Now, on the other hand, making a distinction between sacred and secular, it limits the possibility of encountering God to specific times and places, as in, God is only active and present here. So what that means is that we leave our lives, we leave our jobs, and we leave our everyday existence behind when we come through the church doors because sacred and secular don't mix. They don't cross. It's like oil and water, right? That's why my mom whispered to me, Chad, we're in church now. I mean, how were you taught to think about this? How do you think about this now? Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with clanging cymbals. Praise Him with loud crashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Pastor Stephanie introduced the idea of praying the Psalms last week. That many of the Psalms are actually prayers that reflect a wide array of emotions. There are Psalms or prayers of lament because life is hard and we suffer the natural consequences of our actions. 
And there are psalms or prayers of joy because life is amazing and it's so good. And there are psalms or prayers everywhere in between. Psalm 150, our focus text today, is the latter. It is a joyful prayer expressed as music. So the psalmist writes, Pray to God with trumpet sounds, with lutes, harps, and even loud crashing cymbals. So today, I'm going to push this psalm quite a bit to get you thinking about something you may not have thought about before. As the last psalm in the book, this prayer is interesting. It altogether lets go of language. It transcends language and invites you to feel and experience God in the music and in the joy of life. Now, if you take this image beyond the literal of playing an instrument to an understanding that prayer is the unencumbered expression of joy, <laughs> then gone are the rigid guidelines that constitute the right way to pray and the right way to worship. Gone are the walls and structures that keep God grounded to a particular place and time. And most importantly, gone is the boundary between the sacred and the secular. I mean, what if prayer was more than our words? What if prayer was more than memorizing? What, was it, what if prayer is more than doing things a prescribed way? Instead, what if prayer freed God from the confines of our worship spaces to run loose in the world, to be present in all of our relationships, in all of our interactions, and in all of the places that we find ourselves? What if connecting to God in prayer was the very life we live? <laughs> the spiritual masters, the Christian and religious mystics, and the biblical story as a whole understand that everything is sacred. And the fact that we try and make a distinction between the sacred and the secular is short-sighted. But that can be so hard for us to envision. So two quick stories to illustrate that. This is almost certainly a fabricated story, but it's old and it's pretty good. So it was said that Charlemagne, or was it Constantine? The stories vary. But, but either way, a very powerful Roman emperor mandated that all of his soldiers get baptized. This was an important sacred act, and the soldiers complied. They went down in mass to get baptized in the river, but when they were being submerged, they held out one arm, that they stuck one hand out of the water. The unbaptized hand was their sword hand that they would use to kill and pillage. While their body was baptized into the love of God, their hand remained in the secular. It remained at the command of the emperor, ready to commit all sorts of atrocity. Sacred and secular. So story two. Uh, when I was a, a graduate student in seminary, I worked on the maintenance crew. It's kind of my work study, that's what I did. It was, it was fun. So one day, we were replacing the carpet in one of the faculty members' offices. And this was just about the time that I was, was going to graduate. And, you know, this particular professor walked in as we were working and said something to the effect of, 
Hey Chad, just a few more months and you can leave this work behind for your higher calling. Yeah, I, I can't remember if that is exactly what she said, but the point was clear. There is sacred work and then there is other stuff. I mean, this faculty person said this in front of one of the full-time maintenance workers pulling up the carpet with me. I mean, I honestly could not believe it. And after she left, I turned to my fellow carpet puller and I, and I said, well, how does that make you feel? And he just shook his head and he said, I'm used to it. Sacred, secular. Do you see your life as holy? Do you see it as sacred? What about your work? Do you see what you do as being of God? The psalmist writes, praise the Lord with trumpet sounds and clashing cymbals. But I actually think we should expand this, uh, this prayer in the trajectory that it takes us, it leads us. So let's do that. Praise the Lord with the sweeping of brooms and the ripping of carpet. Praise the Lord with the mowing of grass and the typing on keyboards. Praise the Lord with the filing of taxes and the cleaning of teeth. Praise the Lord with the teaching of students and the visiting of grandchildren. Praise the Lord in the serving of food and the thanking of waitstaff. Praise the Lord in the worrying for kids and the waiting in hospital rooms. I'll stop, but do you see Everything is sacred because God is present in all things, in all places, and in all people. Not just some things, some places, and some people. So, I don't know how many people wake up in the morning hating themselves, hating the world, hating the work that they do, hating their life or those who are just exhausted because they, they genuinely believe that what they do does not matter or what they no longer can do keeps them from mattering. I mean, I, I'm not saying that the maturing of your faith and, and a deepening of your spiritual life will magically cure depression and anxiety and give you a clear sense of value and purpose. However, I can say that it will absolutely help with all of those things. If, if prayer, as Psalm 150 leads us to conclude, is praising God in all the things that you do, if, if prayer is the expression of joy in life, then connecting to God in prayer through living your life, through living in the world, allows you to care about others and, your, and yourself in ways that are truly life-giving ways that allow you to see the presence of God in all things. Psalm 150 is more than just the last psalm. It's more than just a prayer. It's an invitation to live and see the world in which everything is sacred. And I have to tell you that if you get to that point where you truly believe this, where you stop segregating the world into secular and sacred, or at least do it less, everything changes. Everything changes. The way that you see yourself, others, and the world changes. The way that you see your work changes. The way that you see creation changes. The way that you see God changes. This message is at the heart of Jesus' ministry as, as he taught and enacted the kingdom of God coming to transform the world. Everything is sacred.
I mean, this is the good news that we hear today. May you be transformed by it. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. As a way of taking our focus text just a bit deeper and applying that more personally to your life, here are a couple of reflection questions. Do you tend to make a distinction between the sacred and secular? If so, what do you classify as sacred? And what do you classify as secular? Number two, do you see your life and what you do as sacred, that is, being connected to God? As you reflect on these questions, I hope that you are able to apply our text and just our message more fully to your life.